standing. We read together the scriptures out of respect uh, for God's word. We're going to be looking at uh, the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, this new series we're starting today. I'm going to read aloud. Maybe uh, you will only recognize this from the song by the birds, turn, 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 but it's from the Bible, okay? Just so you know. Uh, I'll read it aloud. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. There is a time for everything, turn, 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 okay, no. And a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die. I know you're all singing the song in your head, aren't you? A time to plan and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, laugh, mourn, dance. Scatter stones, a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. And what we're going to look at today, verse 8, say, read, read those two phrases out loud with me, would you? A whole verse 8. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Well, this fall we're launching into a series and we're calling it, uh, That's What Friends are four, another song, I know, don't start humming that in your head either, you're going to get really confused. Uh, but we're going to be looking at friendship and the power of friendship. Now I want to, I want to tell you this, you know this, uh, but sometimes you forget this. We all, we all have this in our brains somewhere, in our experience. Uh, friends have great power in your life. When I was in the seventh grade, I went to, uh, I went to camp. And I went to church camp, and it was a camp at, in the Lake of the Ozarks, because we lived in Springfield, Missouri at the time. And uh, we, we went to church camp, and there was this kid in uh, my dorm, his name was Scott, and I found out that he went to the same school as me, and he went to another uh, Nazarene church in the same town where we were living. And uh, I recognized him from school, and somehow in the, the conversation, we were in the dorm, and uh, he mistook something that I said, or maybe I really did say something mean as a seventh grader. I don't know. You know, when you're in seventh grade, words get out of your mouth, and they're kind of dumb and stupid. And I probably, I'm sure it probably was me and, and his interpretation. But he got really mad because he thought I was saying something about one of his friends, and he got all up in my business. And he was like, what are you doing? And we got into this fight in the dorm in church camp. Uh, we made it through that fight, and uh, we became friends. And Scott Dooley became my, went to college, and he was my roommate for four years. And now he's a doctor, and now our church has supported what he does in Kujip Nazarene Hospital in Papua New Guinea. We've done a whole bunch of work with them and providing medical care for people. All started from a friendship. I mean, friends have incredible power uh, in your life. Now listen, people say this, I, th- I think this is true. They say that you're the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. So here's what I want you to do. If you don't like something about yourself, don't blame yourself, blame those five people, right? <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier. <laughs> if there's something that you do, or you have some way you talk, or what you eat, and you don't like it, it's their fault. It's not your fault. But if you, if you pause long enough and, and you start to look at what you do and there's something you do and you don't like what you do, or if there's something that you, how you, some way that you talk and you don't like how you talk, or there's something that you eat and you don't like how you eat, or there's some substance that you use that you wish you would stop using, maybe you're getting that 
from those five people that you spend the most time with. Now, if you don't like those things about yourself, it's time to get some new friends. Now, I, I, have, I have some key people in my life I cannot imagine uh, life without, and they made me who I am. And I would go so far as to say this, and I do not think this is a stretch, and I'm saying this as a pastor. Um, you need to belong to a church family. That's incredibly important. Uh, you need to have a, a job where you contribute something. Maybe you love the job. Maybe it's just a paycheck to support your family. I don't know. But either way, it, uh, you need to have a job where you're actually contributing something to the common good. You need to have some hobbies that help renew you. You need all of those things. And they're all very important. And they all shape you. But I think your friends shape you more than all of those things put together. So we're going to talk about that during this series. Now what, what is it that friends are for? If you, have the, if you got the notes when you came in, sermon notes, and you want to take notes as we go along, you can uh, fill in the blanks as we go along. And, and what are friends are for? I've got two things, uh, three things that I think friends are for, and we're going to talk about them this morning as we jump into this series. Uh, friends are for the times of your life. Friends are for the times of your life. All of them the good times and the bad times and the hard times and the easy times and the fun times and the difficult times and the trying times and the scary times. A friend walks in when everybody walks out. Isn't that right? A real friend has your back. A friend sees that you aren't perfect but doesn't hold that against you. A friend knows that life is hard but they don't judge you when you complain. A friend is for the times of your life. When we were living in St. Louis, uh, we bought a home and we had to do a bunch of rehabbing to it and we fixed it up and my wife was pregnant with our daughter, Carrington, and so she couldn't help a lot and uh, so it was all on me. And we were, I mean, we were not totally gutting the house, but we were doing a lot of, a lot of work to it. And at one point, I've told the story before, she was walking out, um, our, two, our boys were really little, they were, I think, uh, maybe five and two, or four and two, something like that. And, and uh, so they were, kind of a, they were kind of a handful, and my wife's you know, really pregnant, and one day she was walking out to get to the mail at this new home that we were trying to rehab, and she fell and broke, I've told the story before, I won't go into it, she broke all four fingers on this hand as an eight-month pregnant woman, and then I'm also trying to get this house done so that we can move in before this baby arrives, and I'm not going to lie, it might be the closest I've ever come to a nervous breakdown because I just couldn't get it all done, and I called some friends, because friends are for the times of your life, and they came over, and they got me through it. Because that's what friends are for. Here's how the writer of Proverbs said it, who also wrote Ecclesiastes, Solomon. A friend loves at what times? All times. And what is a brother born for? Adversity, right? And even, in fact, that's how you know who your real friends are. They're, they're with you all of the time. They're not there some of the time. They're not just there for the good times. They're not just there most of the times. They're, they're there all the times. Friends are for the times of your life. Second thing is this, is that friends multiply life. 
The book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, most people think, the son of David, wisest man who ever lived, the Bible says. And uh, this was his kind of exploration of, of existence and how do I find meaning in life? And that's this, this whole, the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about. And, and the context that he sets this all in, verses 1 through 8, is wrapped up in verses 9 and 10, which we're going to put on the screen. I often read this at weddings, and it absolutely applies because you want to marry someone who's a friend. If you're going to marry somebody and they're not a friend, don't marry them. Stop. Like, don't do it. Because <laughs> you need a friend for life. Like, can, can anyone tell me? It's been married a long time. It's more important to be a friend than almost anything, in, right? Okay, right. Okay, a couple people affirming that. Good. Uh, this, this is the context that he says it in, Ecclesiastes chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor if either of them falls down. Read that phrase. One can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Friends, they don't just add something to your life. They multiply life to you. If you had a horse, and, and I don't have a horse, and, and you had a, 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 a load to pull, and you, you, that horse could pull, just using round numbers, 1,000 pounds, you would think that if you needed to pull 2,000 pounds, you would need two horses, or, and that would be the max capability, but that's not how it works. When you put the second horse there, you, they can't together pull 2,000 pounds. They can together pull three or 4,000 pounds. I don't understand how that works. I, I, don't, I can't make sense of that. But that's the reality because friends multiply life. In God's economy of things, friends multiply life to you. That, this is how God intended it. Friends are something God gives to you as a gift. Third thing, friends multiply life to you during the times of your life. Bring those two things together. And some of those times of life are really difficult. The teacher here says that that's the reference to the person who's doing this experiment in Ecclesiastes. Times of hate and times of war. Now, I need to to explain something to you about the scriptures as you're reading them because I want you to read them and I want you to read them well. And if you read the scriptures poorly, they're going to mess up your life. But if you read them well, they're going to give life to you. And so I want you to understand something. Uh, um, (coughs) You need to understand when you're reading scripture if what is being said right there is descriptive, in other words, it's describing something about life and just telling you how it is, or or is it uh, prescriptive? Is it telling you how things ought to be? And often when people read scripture, they get those two things confused. And so uh, many people are tripped up reading scripture because they think the whole book is a prescription. In other words, if it's just mentioned once in the Bible, the Bible is saying that's what ought to happen. And so they say this is a list of things that are supposed to happen. And so people will read some of the things in the scriptures and say, well, that's regressive or it's irrelevant or it's backwards. But that's actually a misunderstanding, you got to know the difference of what you're reading. Is it descriptive or is it prescriptive? Um, so in the scriptures, there are descriptions of things like polygamy and things like slavery and things like gender inequality and religiosity. Those things are all described in the scriptures, but they're not prescribed in the scriptures. So um, how you, how you say, well, okay, well, how do I know if something is prescribed in the scripture? How do I know if I'm reading that? How do I make the distinction? Well, the distinction is what the commands are are. Now listen, we're Christians, so we take our cues from Jesus. So if Jesus said to do it, it is a prescription. It's how things ought to be. 
So when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's not describing something, though he is saying that's a possibility. He's prescribing this. That's how it ought to be. You ought to love your enemies. Or when we read the Ten Commandments and they say, you shall not do these things, that is a prescription. This is how it ought to be. Life works better when you do it this way. Or when the Apostle Paul says, be completely humble and be completely gentle. And, and what happens is many people dismiss what they read in the scriptures because they think they're prescribing something and they don't understand it because it's really describing something. And right here, this is a description. This is an a, a observation about life. And uh, the, so the, the writer is not saying, listen, you need to go and kill some people. You need to go to war. Uh, is, you need to uproot some things that have been planted. Not saying... Those things ought to happen, saying that those things happen. He's not saying that they should happen. He's just commenting on the fact that they do happen. And they happen sometimes on uh, nation and geopolitical uh, levels, and sometimes they happen on personal levels. We're, we're about to enter into a time of election season. Oh, my gosh. And, and that political, geopolitical reality has the potential to ruin some personal relationships. Don't let it happen. Don't give into it. Politics is just how things get done. Your hope is not in who gets elected or reelected president. Your hope is in Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Don't ever put your hope in, if we get the right person who agrees with me, everything will work. No! Politics is kind of a mess. It's the art of compromise. It, fine, care about it, but don't care about it too much. So the writer says there are times of hate. He, des- he, he describes, he observes, and there are times of war. Uh, times of hate. There are times, this, this, is, this is how hate grows in us. There are times when hurt has grown in your heart to such a degree that you hate somebody, right? There's relational conflict. There's poorly worded text messages. There's passive-aggressive posts on Facebook. There's harsh words in person that you can't take back, like a tube of toothpaste that you've squeezed out and you can't put it back in the tube, and, or they can't put it back in the tube. And the hurt becomes a giant wave on the ocean of life named hate. And, and the writer says those things happen, and friends are for those times. And then he also says that there are times of war. In other words, there are times of strife and difficulty and confusion that lead to all-out difficulty and even violence, emotional violence or mental violence or physical violence. Listen, war happens because two sides can't reach an understanding. War is a failure of understanding. Lines of communication and respect have broken down, and what happens is people stop talking, and they start throwing things, and, and the writer says, listen, that happens. I'm not saying it ought to happen, he's just saying it happens. And friends are for those times. The, the teacher in Proverbs says, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person, who can find it? Who, who's got my back always? Now, uh, so that's what friends are for, but we have kind of a crisis of friendship in our country. Um, you see it. It happened again yesterday. I've got a picture here of one of the shooters from one of the shootings, and it's so common now, you don't even know who that is, and neither do I. 
And you know it is always the same, isn't it? It's almost the profile is almost the same as the shooter. Um, and, and they always say the same thing about the person, don't they? What do they say? He was a loner. He had no friends. And so this has created collective confusion about the solution to this. I, I found this picture of now a, uh, this is a um, expo for security products for schools. And this is one that happened this summer and they had 105 vendors. And so now our children go to school and go through drills where they're taught what to do if, some, if a bad person, I remember when my kids were little, we did a drill today about if a bad person comes into school, what we're supposed to do. We lived for a while in Richmond, Virginia, on the East Coast, near, uh, just south of Washington, D.C., and Andrea's sister lived in Baltimore, which is just north of Washington, D.C., and there was this, if some of you remember this, and it was about 10 years ago, uh, there was a, a guy in the news that, that was known as the Beltway Shooter. If you've ever been on the East Coast there, um, it's not like here, there's trees everywhere. Literally, you go down the highway from Richmond all the way to the beach, and it's a canopy of trees just like this, and like no open space. And so uh, this shooter would randomly go around, hide in those trees, shoot someone, and just disappear. And it caused random panic and fear. And one time during all of this, we were driving up to see Andrea's sister up in Baltimore, and we got out to get gas. Now, this, the, the, this person was trying to evoke terror, and they succeeded. Because when we got out to get gas, everyone would do the same thing. They would get out, they'd put the gas, and they would kind of duck down, and then they would... And I did the same thing. This is, this is what our kids now have as normal. And, and we think this is about guns, and I'm not trying to comment on all of that, but listen, I, I think more than that, this is about friends. Because every time that person has no friend. Now listen, Genesis chapter 1, you know the story? Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, that's where the, the creation account of how God put all this into, into play, and, and God creates everything, and every day he says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then he gets to the man. He creates the man out of the dust of the earth, and he breathes life into him. And he looks around, and God, before sin has entered the world, if you're a theologian and you want to understand this, before sin has entered the world, God looks, the only thing that he observes and says, it's not good. You know what it is? He says, it is not good that man is alone. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking here uh, about whether or not you're an extrovert or an introvert. I'm talking about friendship or no friendship, about you having someone who will love you in times of hate and someone who will be a source of peace in time of war. We all need it. We all need friends. So the writer says that there is a, a time for everything, and, and obviously there are some things uh, that you wish you weren't going through and some times that you weren't going through and you wish there were other times, but the reality is his life is made up, made up of things that you like and things that you don't like and people you like and people you don't like and experiences you like and experiences you don't like. And to have a life, you have to accept all of that. That's part of being an adult. You go, okay, well, some of it I'm going to like and some of it I'm not. And, and very honestly, so much of the energy in our country right now is directed at figuring out how to have a life without all of those difficulties and challenges. And we're being trained to think that we shouldn't have hard times. Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor, he died this last year. Um, he wrote uh, what we know as the message translation of the scriptures. He was a pastor for 40 plus years. And uh, he said that that um, we're, we're just not very tough today. It used to be 100 years ago that when, when death happened, 
uh, the body would be laid out on the kitchen table. And that's why they call it a wake, because they thought, maybe they'll wake up. <laughs> that's literally where it comes from. And so all the kids would see the body of grandma, and all the relatives would come by and see the body. And, and it just kind of was a thing, like people, people struggle. Now we have a whole... Thank God for it, but we have a whole industry now devoted to that. So you can kind of push that off to the side, and you don't have to be aware of that in your day-to-day life. And, and, and Eugene Peter says that we're kind of trained to be soft and not accept the difficulties of life. And I'm not trying to say that those things ought to, the times of hate and the times of war ought to be welcomed. I'm just saying if you're going to make any progress, you have to accept that they actually are. But, but that's what friends are for, are those times of life. So I want to give you um, four actions of a good friend. Now, um, if you're keeping track here, um, I, this is, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying, because many of us struggle with this whole subject, especially guys. It was so interesting. I posted on, on Facebook, uh, said, hey, tell me your best advice for being a good friend. And just a whole bunch of people commented, and it was way more women than men. Because see, women somehow, we somehow teach women that it's important to have relationships, and somehow we teach us as men, like, suck it up. And so we struggle, and it's not inconsequential that the people who do all of the shootings are not women. Right? Do you see that? Do you see that connection? So many of us struggle with doing this, and, and we, we are waiting for someone to be a friend to us. But here's what I have found about friendship, that if you put into your own mind and heart the practices of a good friend, if you, if you become the kind of friend that you want, it is much easier for you to make friends. And so I want to give you four actions of a, a good friend. Now, I, I need to, before we do that, I need to take you to the story of Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. David was the father of Solomon who wrote Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. And, and maybe in hearing a little bit of their story, you would find some of your story. Jonathan was the son of King Saul, and David had been anointed. David, you killed Goliath, had been anointed the king uh, by Samuel the prophet, and uh, he became, uh, he killed Goliath, Saul saw David kill Goliath, and brought David into his court, but then quickly saw that David was a threat to him, and started to chase him, and try to kill him. Jonathan and David, the son of the king, and this shepherd boy named David, became close friends. So much so, that at a point when Saul was coming for David's life and was going to take his life, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan knit his heart, the scripture says, and knit himself to David. And he loved him as he loved himself. L- that, listen, that's the goal for a friendship, that you, as a guy, now women, you, same story for you, but especially as a guy, do you have another guy? I'm not asking a hundred other guys or ten or twenty One, do you have one other guy that you could say, man, I love that dude like I love myself? Um, All all of the research shows that if you have a friend, one or two close friends, it changes the trajectory of your life. Your immune system is stronger. You live longer. I want you to have that kind of friend. So here are four, four actions Uh, of a good friend. You can't make someone be your friend any more than you can make yourself go to sleep, but you can have 
an environment conducive to it. Now, this, this is why we want you to be in a life group, because it just creates an environment. It's not a guarantee that you're going to be besties uh, or BFFs or bros with the people in the group, but it certainly is an environment where that could happen. And if I wanted something good to happen, I would put myself in the environment where that good thing could happen. So be in a life group. So here's, here's these uh, four things. Number one, be preferential. Be preferential. By that, I don't mean think about what you like. I mean that you choose to prefer the other person. This is how the Apostle Paul said it. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. Uh, I, I think one way to define love is to say, I prefer you. I have all these other options on the table. But I prefer you. I, I pick you. And most of us, honestly, we prefer ourselves, and so we talk about ourselves, and we look for ways to, uh, to think about ourselves. And here's, here's a very practical way to begin per, being preferential toward other people. Ask the other person questions about them. Be preferential. I'm going to touch on this more in a second. Be, second thing, be peaceful. Um, there is something that is universally true, and this is what's universally true. We all want to be heard. So listen. Now, it's a really simple way. Someone described this to me once and went, oh, that makes a lot of sense. When you go to Dunkin' in the morning and you're getting your coffee or donut, and uh, anybody remember when they used to have the commercial, it was time to make the donuts, and they still made Dunkin' in the store, and it was delicious, and now it's terrible? Okay, that's just a person that's not, not, not really part of the message. I just wanted to comment on that. But the, the coffee, right? You're going through, and you're getting your coffee. And you order. They pull up, and they say, welcome to Dunkin'. What can I get for you today? And you say, I'd like a large black coffee. Would you like any cream or sugar in that? No. Okay, your total is $2.38. Thank you. And they repeat back to you what you said. That's how you listen, right? You listen to the person. So, you, so, you, so that was a really hard day for you, huh? Like You don't have to have answers, right? You're just saying back to the person what you heard them say. That's, that's listening. That's letting them know that you actually heard them. And, and what, when you listen to somebody, this is why you bring peace into their life in times of hate and war, is that you lower their temperature because they start to feel heard. I mean, when, when someone is in hot water, they don't need you to pour more boiling water into the situation, right? And by listening, you bring peace to the situation. You bring peace to the person. You be peace, you're peaceful. That's how James said it. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Third thing, show up. Now, this was, uh, I, I stole this straight from uh, one of the comments. Kurt Tilford, if you know Kurt, Kurt plays bass sometimes, and uh, Kurt's been here forever. And if you know Kurt, you know that Kurt is a true friend. He just cares. And um, he posted on there, he's like, he just said, show up. And man, that's so powerful. Just show up. Just send the text message. Just go over. Just slow down long enough to listen. Do what's necessary. You're a friend that loves at all times. Listen, you cannot love somebody from a distance. I mean, you can have good feelings, but you got to show up, right? Just show up when somebody is going through something. And this is the last thing we'll end right here. Uh, Bring a rope. Now, I don't mean to hang somebody. 
this was one of the other comments on there that someone put, and they were so right, is that oftentimes your friend falls into a pit and they need someone to help them up. And God put you in their life, not to, not to say, why did you fall in that pit? Oh man, you need to be better at not falling into pits. That's not very helpful, is it? The friend looks at you and says, oh my goodness, here's a rope. I'm here for you. Let me pull you up. Ecclesiastes 3.10, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. That's what friends are for. So we're going to delve into that, and I want to, uh, this, during this series, and um, I hope that you'll be part of a life group, uh, because we're going to talk about this during a uh, life group, and um, you can begin to grow in it. This is something you can grow in. This is a skill. You don't have to be great at this right now. You may go, I'm, not, I'm terrible at all four of those things. Awesome. Then you can get one click better. And so here's what I want us to do. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. Are you ready? Say, yes, I am ready to be uncomfortable. Okay, great. Fantastic. Make it awkward. Why don't you, why don't you stand with me? And we're going to do something we don't normally do because that's what friends are for. We're going to experience this. It's going to put some of you outside of your comfort zone. And here's, what, here's how this is going to roll, okay? You're going to take your hands. Everybody take your hands like this. And you're going to put them down like this. And you're going to grab the hand of the person next to you even if you don't know them. And we're going to pray. Okay? Ready? God, thank you for this beautiful gift of friendship. This gift where someone is for us and loves us, will tell us the truth when we don't want to hear it, will be there for us when we're struggling. We need this, and Lord, I pray especially for the men of our church that, that over the next five weeks, over the next six weeks, over the fall, that they would begin to figure out how to be a friend and have a friend. And the entire course of their life would be changed because of this brother in their life. Oh, how marriages would be better if men had a friend. How, how addictions would go away if they had a friend who was moving in the same direction toward you. How uh, the porn epidemic would lower and lessen and not harm marriages because they had friends who were trying to live a godly and pure life. Oh, God, for men. I pray this, and for the women as well. Just knit our hearts together the way that you do, one thread at a time. And so thank you for putting us into your family, calling us brothers and sisters, and teaching us how to be friends. We, we thank you for it. We pray this in your name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. You're sent out to love God. Love people. Serve the world by being friends. See ya.